With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And everyone, we are very excited to welcome in a special guest to the Ralphie Report podcast. We have here on the line, Jeremy Bloom, uh, Colorado Buffalo's legend and Colorado sports legend, I would say. Um, and he's gone on to do many bigger and better things after that. Um, so welcome aboard, Jeremy. How are you? Yeah, good to be here, guys. Yeah, so for those who don't know, Jeremy played football uh, for CU for two short years um, while also competing in, I believe, the slalom was your skiing event. Is that right? A freestyle skiing, um, freestyle. which is moguls, bumps, jumps, and flips. So kind of the, the a little different than slalom, but, yeah, you know, you still wear skis so you were close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in case you can't tell, I am not a skier. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he uh, he competed in, in both sports at an extremely high level, and um, I guess it's relevant now because uh, the NCAA, as we've all seen, has been, I guess, reticent is now given way to um, the athletes, I guess, the, the ability to for them to profit off their own likeness and image, um, which Jeremy has some experience with uh, at the University of Colorado. So I guess before I speak to it, if you'd like to, Jeremy, say anything about um, this new, the, the new change in the NCAA rules and the California law that recently passed. Yeah, it's, you know, it's pretty interesting to see what's happening across the landscape of college athletics. It's now almost 20, the year 2020. I was going through my NCAA battle back in 2003 and on some levels i'm surprised it's taken this long to change and on other levels knowing the bureaucracy and going through it firsthand um, <laughs> i thought that it would probably take a couple decades but when i joined the university of colorado i was a freshman and i'd finished my first olympics as a skier um, and i was the number one ranked skier in the world and that was pretty cool. But what happened was, uh, you know, in skiing, like all Olympic sports or really any alternative sport like the X Games, etc., cetera, uh, there's no governing body that gives us a salary. So the only way we pay for our coaches and our training and those types of things is through corporate endorsements. Right. And I was surprised when I got to college when the NCAA said, if you want to play uh, football for the University of Colorado, you're going to have to give up all ski-related sponsorship um, in order to do so. And I was surprised because they allowed guys like Drew Henson at the time to mm-hmm. play football at Michigan and be an amateur in football, but a professional at the same time as a baseball player make a couple million bucks, but they didn't <laughs> do it. So it was a bit hypocritical. Ultimately, um, I didn't win the argument. The NCAA is the judge, the jury, and the appeal. <laughs> and they kind of own all the cycles there, so to say. Um, but today, the California legislation is more broad that just says, hey, if you're a student athlete, you own your likeness, your right. image. Um, which kind of makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Like, 
you know, we are who we are and why would anybody else own that? It kind of seems like this foreign concept when you really think about it. So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. I have a question. Um, <laughs> interestingly, I have a question. I usually don't. Um, so this says that uh, they can use their, like athletes can use their name, image likeliness in a manner consistent with the collegiate model. <laughs> so this immediately... <laughs> problematizes everything yeah. do you well, here's, here's what happened and you're referencing the mark emmert um who's the head yep. of the NCAA and the committee mm -hmm. that worked on this so they they came out with this kind of landmark decision the ncaa said okay all of a sudden guys everybody calm down we now agree that student athletes should own their name, image, and likeness. State legislators, federal legislators, put your pens down, take away all your you know, legislation hitting the, the House and Senate. <laughs> we got this. <laughs> and what they said is, well, we agree with it, but it needs to, to go along with the, quote, collegiate model, which makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. No sense. And it's, so it's pretty clear what they did. They they saw California, it was successful there. They saw Florida and Pennsylvania, which are next. The difference is that California's legislation will not go into effect until the year 2023. However, Pennsylvania and Florida, that would go in, in effect in the year 2020, which is right around the corner. Mm -hmm. And so the NCAA tried to kind of use that announcement to disarm the progress that these state senators are having, uh, and I and I think that it backfired on them. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was pleasantly surprised actually when when the when the NCAA statement came out, and I uh, I thought it would be like as you said, like a nice I guess a, a placation of all the um, progress. I would consider it progress that's that's happening on the legislative side. But um, I guess I, I guess on my limited feet, all I saw was. Yeah, everyone saw it what as it was, which was a half measure or a, a uh, I guess, a concession speech um, that, that's trying to stop the the continued, I guess, evolution of the rights of college athletes. Um, so I appreciate the fact that I guess you and others, other commentators I saw, realized that it wasn't. This they aren't. That's not the final, I guess, like say in the matter. No, it, they rolled out, they're really good at kind of rolling out snake oil or propaganda <laughs> just to, you know, to, to get people to, to stop focusing on the issue that, that they, they don't want people to focus on. But I, I, I think people have, have gotten really smart um, on the topic and you know, the same tactics that have worked for them for the past 50 years won't work anymore. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's difficult for anybody to, to describe college athletics as amateur in today's environment. I mean, we're seeing mm -hmm. coaches get fired from football jobs and getting paid $20 million to walk out the door yep. for like a settlement, like 20 million just to leave. Like Florida state paid their head coach $17 million just to leave just yesterday. Yep. Uh, coaches are making $9 million a year. Um, TV contracts are worth billions of dollars for things like March Madness and, and NCAA football play. I mean, everybody, literally everybody is getting rich except for the people who play the sport that people go to watch and see and, and fund this whole thing. Mm -hmm. The irony in that is pretty amazing. Wouldn't you agree? 
Oh yeah. Well, and and to your point further, uh, I guess on the heels of these this Willie Taggart firing at Florida State, which as you said is about eighteen million to twenty million dollar buyout, um, the Florida State Athletic Department also announced plans to privatize in the next few years, um, which you know is the opposite of a uh, a public you know enterprise that is literally a business. They are going to start running it as a business, um, and I guess for any business you need to pay your workers um, and hopefully good businesses. businesses pay their workers a fair wage um and just the work that everyone puts in on the on the staff side and especially obviously on the athletic side the athlete side um yeah i if if i was good enough at playing say the oboe um i would be able to as a college student to get paid for playing the oboe if i was good enough at playing football i feel like i should be paid for being good enough to play football um, to me, I guess it's just that simple, but obviously you have a lot more experience and you, you put a lot more eloquently than I ever could. So, um, I just thought it was interesting, interesting times. And it was a great time to have you on the podcast to talk about these giant issues that you, you faced, uh, I guess close to 15 years ago now. Yeah. You know, and I've stayed close to the matter ever, ever since and mm-hmm. seen kind of little, you know, wins along the way, like the O'Bannon case that, um, yep. Did a couple things, including requiring universities to to fund scholarships at the actual cost that it attends. It costs to attend the school, which seems pretty obvious. But before that, <laughs> literally, the schools would be paying scholarships under the cost to attend the school. So you know what happens if you're a kid that goes to school from a family with no financial means. You you literally. Um, have to try to accept money from boosters or some other quote illegal method of getting funding because your right. scholarship doesn't pay for living expenses. It's, it was pretty tragic, but you know, <laughs> those tides are turning now. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah, 15 years ago, uh, you were a I guess that would be a freshman or sophomore in the 2000 2001 I believe was your freshman season or 2002. One of those two. Yeah. So yep. 2002 was the Olympic year. Um, that was yeah. my, that was, I graduated high school in 01, Olympics 02, freshman year was 03. 03, yeah. And uh, you you came on the scene strong for Colorado. Uh, I believe that was the year of your 96-yard touchdown against Kansas State um, and, and Bill Snyder. With a, I believe that was the longest touchdown in regulation in Colorado football history until this oh. year. Uh, when Katie Nixon tied that record against Nebraska with the flea flicker. Um, yeah. If you watch that game at all. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on the Colorado Buffaloes, I guess, this year? Switching gears, their football team. Yeah, you know, I, I guess I would start with when the University of Colorado hired Rick George yeah. um, from the Texans. Uh, he was at the Texans organization, the baseball team, and mm-hmm. came up to be the athletic director and um, – you know, I've gotten a chance to spend a lot of time with Rick since. And the thing that stood out to me then, you know, when he was hired, we couldn't win a game. And I'm not just talking football, <laughs> I'm talking every sport. Like mm-hmm. it, it was a really bad time in University of Colorado uh, sports history. Mm-hmm. And he came to Boulder with this grandiose plan that he was going to raise, you know, a couple hundred million dollars and build all these things, these new facilities, this indoor facility, which, you know, by the way, people have been trying to build in Boulder forever. I mean, right. if, any, any, if any town needs an indoor facility, it's Boulder, Colorado. It's, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, give me a break. Like, you're practicing in a foot of snow? Yeah, we did that. But, um, you know, he came here with this five-point plan and nobody – 
nobody thought he would be able to do it. Mm-hmm. And against all odds, he did it. He raised a couple hundred million bucks. He built fantastic facilities. Mm-hmm. He's a guy that, that leads, you know, black and gold. I think in my, for my money, he's the best athletic director in the country. I don't think right. too many people could have done what he did to get Colorado on par with other Pac-12 schools from a facilities perspective that, that he was able to accomplish. From there, he goes and recruits a coach that nobody else could have recruited to bowl. I mean, Mel Tucker could have gone anywhere. Mm-hmm. You've seen his, his resume. He's got national championships. He's coached under the best head coaches on the planet. And pulling him out of Georgia to come to Boulder, Colorado, was a monumental task. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big Mel Tucker fan. Spent some time around him. I love his swagger. Um, I love how much he cares about his players. I love the recruiting that he and the coaching staff. I mean, we're starting to see four-star recruits come to Colorado. Literally, Jerry Rice's son has committed to Colorado. Like, you know, all signs, you know, forget about the record so far this year. All signs, you know, point up and to the right. So I think it's a pretty optimistic time for for Colorado athletics now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Going off your point with just with Rick George, you know, Mel Tucker has said time and again, the reason that he was so excited about this job and that, and that he took this job is, is he met with Rick George once and he decided, I want to work for that guy. That's right. Um, if it so, wasn't for Rick George, he wouldn't, he would not have come to Boulder. Right. Absolutely. Um, and you know, a, a great, skill to have, I guess, as a CEO or as anyone who runs a business or an operation is the ability to recruit great talent. Um, and Rick George can do that. And I guess with, I mean, his charisma, his plan is so lock solid. Um, and as you said, you know, on the fundraising side, just to get the indoor practice facility, I believe that like Bill Marolt in the nineties and eighties had an indoor practice facility plan and it took until 2013 to get some, yeah. to get actual movement on that, um, at CU just because it's, I mean, that environment to, to get athletic department dollars raised and the, the, the soil actually moved was monumental. And, um, Rick George, that, that was huge for the, the future of the football program. And I think he also started, uh, the first athletic department specific endowment. Um, you know, which if you look at Stanford or other PAC 12 schools, that's huge. And that's part of how they can fund all these great assistant coaching hires or the support staff, the tutoring staff. Um, so just getting that endowment started, you know, that that's, you need that foundation for the football program. And I think Rick George has done a great job of just leveling that. He's also leading the national conversation on better supporting student athletes, mental health, yeah, um, which is such an important topic. And, and I think kind of acknowledging and pausing on like, you know, most ADs, that's not, you know, top five priority for them. It's winning, raising money, hiring and setting a strategy, but it is literally a top five focus uh, for, for Rick. And so I, you know, I commend him for that mental mm-hmm. health is such a massive challenge and problem in today's world, especially inside of athletics. I unfortunately can count on, on now two hands, the number of um, athletes that I either played with or played uh, around mm-hmm. that have taken their own lives due to mental health. And so, you know, super important topic and, you know, he's helping to lead the national conversation on that. And by the way, he's also on the NCAA committee that is looking at name, image, and likeness. Well, there you go. Yeah, he, yeah. As I guess, as a leader, and as you said, he, he wasn't even in college athletics before he went back to CU. Um, he was part of the, I, 
like Texas, I think Texas Rangers, Rangers, one of those baseball yeah, it's teams. Texas Rangers. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, he was a businessman and then, you know, he got the call to go back to Boulder and that's hard to resist. Um, and we're, I mean, obviously as CU fans, we're just glad that he did. Yeah. Um, and we're glad he didn't go to USC. So. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Like well, former, former AD. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> that's right. Mike bone now at the university of Southern California. So well, I get, that is another, wow. That is an interesting. Talk about a carousel. Like they can't find the night in AD. I mean, that has been a massive carousel. People yeah. coming, people coming out. It's funny the uh, the the minor win. All their fans were celebrating because Mike Brown didn't attend school there, and I feel like that was that was their bar. Was he was not a USC alum, therefore he's a win because I think their last three or four athletic directors were all USC football players that just came back, um, and it, it was just funny because the the conversation I saw at least was just Cincinnati fans saying, "Oh, this is a good hire," and CU fans saying, "Well, I don't know about this one," and then USC fans saying, "At least it's not Lynn Swan." Uh, yeah, it was, uh, man, they are, it is a strange time over there in Southern California. Yeah, but they beat the buffs. So they got oh, that, that was a tough loss. Yeah, yeah. Jeremy, I'm, I'm glad that you brought in the optimism about Mel Tucker, like how he's just getting started because I've, I've struggled staying optimistic with the team just cause I have to cover every game and it kind of, <laughs> it wears on me. Yeah, I get it. You, you got to have a long-term view with, with this team, you know, and, and and we have to realize this is his first year. So literally most of the guys on that team he inherited, um, he didn't recruit for, you know, his system. Mm-hmm. When you evaluate the class of 2020 and the beginning class of 2021, you know, it looks to be some of the best recruiting classes that the University of Colorado has had in, in some time. And that that's a big testament to guys like, you know, Mel Tucker, obviously, but, but also Darren Shiverini, who's done a great job. I mean, you look at our receiving class. Yeah. Yeah. Shiv has been fantastic. He's done a few replaceable. Yep. Well, and the other part is, so I, I was just out in Los Angeles to watch them play UCLA. Um, I'd never been to the Rose bowl and that was, that was fantastic. Um, what a sight, but, you know, yeah. if you look at who's playing, starting running backs out, we're down to our final two healthy defensive backs that were recruited as defensive backs. One of them a yeah. true freshman, and it's that's just a losing deck for a lot of coaches, um, and especially a new coach, first year, new culture. It, it's it's it was tough just to see how depleted that team is, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Injuries just stop anything in the tracks. Yep, You're spot on. Yep. So I guess before we before you guys want to do a little bit prognostication into the future, uh, we talked about the optimism, um, but just for the next three games, CU has Stanford at home, which is a huge contest. I think the last best chance to get a win, um, and then Washington also at home before Utah on the road. How do you see 2019 finishing up? And um, how do you, are you looking at 2020 at all? Do you do you like CU's chances in that year for a bowl game? Jeremy, do you still have two years eligibility left? <laughs> <laughs> I made a joke about that on Twitter when I saw the announcement that the NCAA is not going to allow that. I said, I wonder if I'm going to get my junior and senior year back that they took away. <laughs> but, uh, but trust me, I'm, I'm much better suited at 37 years old of being in the commentator booth than I am on the field. So I, I love from up there. Um, I think to your question, look, Stanford's not an easy win. They're playing a whole heck of a lot better mm-hmm. October, November than they were in September. 
um, Washington and, and Utah, that's the class of Pac-12. So you could, you could absolutely see the buffs dropping, you know, the next three and in, in getting ready for 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, th- those are not easy wins. Utah's playing as good as anybody right, right. now. I mean, you know, I think it's Oregon and Utah in the Pac-12 championship game, which would be a fantastic uh, game for, for the yeah. Pac-12. Um, but yeah, I mean, for, you know, for me, I, you know, I look at university, I take a long view and, and, and say, look, there were some things to celebrate this year. I mean, anytime you beat Nebraska in Colorado state, <laughs> that's something to celebrate. Right. Yeah. And, which we did. <laughs> yeah, which which they did. did. And, and so, you know, they, they deserve a high five for that. Um, but you know, I'm really looking at the body of work that Mel does over the next three to five years. Um, yeah. under that lens, it's tough not to be really optimistic yeah and and the schedule just keeps getting more and more fun every year uh 2020 should be fun the trip down to college station to play texas a&m which yeah, i believe you have some experience that. with yeah uh yeah and back to the big 12 days that's right well they they style themselves an sec school now jeremy uh, i don't know but back in the big 12 <laughs> days that was a heck of a nice little rivalry going you know see you play texas a&m every two years and yeah uh, yeah, so they were both in the – Well, in the and their fans ball. are just rabid down there. Um, oh, I believe yeah. we're also flying out for that, or I guess Ralph Report is also flying out for that one, so I should be really excited to see. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be that. I'm not going to be here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Jeremy, thank you so much for taking on, the time to talk to us. Oh, I'm not done. Never mind. Jeremy, I have a question. More, yeah. My mom asked me to ask you a question. <laughs> she, Anything she, for moms. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. she's an avid skier. So uh, she had a question about like your vision on skiing versus vision on like punt or kick returns. Yeah. It's funny because people ask me, Hey, you know, are there any similarities or differences between football and skiing? And most of them are differences. I mean, you use different body parts running than you do skiing. I mean, literally skiing is like you're in a cast, right? So you don't even use your ankle. There's no ankle flexibility. And in football, it's all ankle flexibility and strength when you're cutting and those types of things. So a lot more differences, but the one common aspect of the two sports that I would always come back to is that what your mom said is the, <laughs> is the similarity between going down a mogul course at 35 miles an hour um, and going and skiing kind of Volkswagen size moguls and everything's coming so fast. You're just reacting to depths and colors and angles. And when you catch a, a, a punt and you have 11 guys on the other team trying to take your head off then, <laughs> and everything's moving so fast, it was literally just reacting off of colors and angles um, and using your depth perception. So, yeah, that, that was the one thing I think freestyle skiing helped me as a punt returner because it, you know, I was used to analyzing images coming in, you know, and really fast and reacting off of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, go ahead. <laughs> well, um, I guess I would never, I obviously don't know much about skiing, but I, I figured there's something with the speed of both, both sports that you were attracted to and that's probably why you excelled them both too because boy yeah that is a lot of danger coming at you at once on, on the field and on the slopes yeah yep well <clears throat> once again jeremy thank you for taking the time to talk to us um and we appreciate it and uh i hope we get to speak again soon and hopefully after uh, maybe at a bowl game that would be nice yeah that would be great <laughs> that would be a great reason to, to chat all right
Thank you. Thanks, guys.